Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Green Blitz 339 in the house. Oscar Lopez here. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to be talking college football week three. We're going to dive into this crazy NFL weekend, NFL week two. Uh, and we're going to be diving into the women's game in the Czech Republic as well as in Sweden. Has big weekends uh, in Division One North, Division South coming up this weekend, plus the Super Series in Sweden. And the anticipation as well of Gridiron, uh, Gridiron Queensland for the 11s coming up here in October. So it's going to be a great show today. We're going to dive into college football as we get into the top 25 in the country. And then we're going to dive into NFL Week 2 in the second hour as we have Hall of Famer Holly Custis with us today. We're going to also have um, Mackenzie Brooks coming in within an hour. We're going to talk everything NFL Week 3, including um, some of the women's news and notes. So let's break, break it down here. Um, so Holly, welcome back. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so big weekend college. We thought we'd never have college, right? But we, here we are three weeks in, we do have some college. Um, me and you and everybody else in our group chat was talking about this PAC 12 blunder, you know, that happened there in terms of trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to have a season. Uh, the Big Ten's on board. Um, so pretty much midway through the, you know, from east to west or midwest, everything's kind of situated to have some sort of a season. Uh, out out west here, still some intangibles. Oh, boy. It's basically become, you know, every day there's a new episode, and as the Pac-12 turns, um, but, you know, it's one of those things that we all know um, nobody could predict a pandemic, you know, and, and uh, this type of pandemic really creates a logistical nightmare, especially for college football. And so everyone knew that going in that it would be very challenging. Um, but I think, you know, when this all really hit the U.S., especially probably around March, we're all looking at the fall thinking, you know what, that's enough time that maybe by then things will come down or at least like the NFL and college, like they have a long time to come up with plans and contingency plans and, and try to, you know, uh, come up with ideas to, to do the best they can. Right. And so then you have um basically a turning point um, a few weeks ago, as we talked about before, where, Mm -hmm. you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were like, oh, you know, we're getting information um, medically that we don't feel comfortable with. And and really it was the Big Ten that's like, we're not going to play. And the Pac-12 is like, okay, we're not going to play either. But what happened is I think, you know, you could see that division that we were talking about within college football and why, you know, the NCAA as a whole doesn't really wield that much power. I think the Big Ten and Pac-12 thought that everyone else was just going to follow them. And uh, when that didn't happen, you know, you had a lot of upset people in the Big Ten. You had, um, you know, uh, players doing petitions. You had 
parents upset and I think people from Nebraska were suing and all this stuff came down. But if you're the Pac-12, you saw the writing on the wall and that the Big Ten was going to try to do whatever they could to, you know, get back on the field considering if, uh, the other three were staying on the field. Um, and then so for the Pac-12, um, <laughs> it's just turned into a, basically a circus. Um you know, so Larry Scott is the commissioner of the conference, and um, he's been there, I, I don't know how long, several years, and I haven't been exactly happy with his performance as a, um, you know, as a commissioner, me being a Pac-12 fan. And I think since he's taken over the conference, um, the conference has lost a lot of traction when, compare, when you compare him to the, to the other four. Um, he's bungled the Pac-12 network, which is not relevant. The programming on it is not very good. Then you can't find it anywhere because he messed up the, the contract to DirecTV. So it's really hard to get to the Pac-12 network. Then he decided, well, you know what? We're going to have, um, you know, our games, like our, some of our QMark games, um, 7.30 p.m. start time uh, Pacific. So it's like 10.30 at night on the East Coast. And, so it really hurts the already uh, big hurdle of having East Coast viewership watch the West Coast game. Then, so that was problematic even to begin with. Then all the information coming out in the last two weeks, it's just evident that the Pac-12 is just a hot mess. And every day there's a new article about, you know, all the things that are going on behind the scenes. But basically the long and the short of it is instead of, being in communication with the states that they're in from day one, which is what I would think anybody with common sense would do. You know, like as soon as you hit like that time of March, you're like, okay, this is going to be a problem. So let me reach out to the state of Washington, Oregon, you know, Colorado, Utah, California, all those states and be like, okay, we want to get this done the best we can. We understand we can't predict anything right now. So let's say communication, let's figure out what each state needs and which county needs what, and continue that communication through the whole process. But it was evident about a week ago when all this was coming out that they didn't even do that. They didn't reach out to the state of California, and, and uh, Newsom was like, well, if you just come to me, I mean, I would, I would work with you. And in Oregon was like, well, hey, nobody came to us until now, but hey, we can work with you. Then the, the county that uh, uh, Los Angeles is in, the UCLA USC, they were like, hey, if you had just come to us. So it was evident there was a, a complete breakdown in communication, which I think should have been day one. If you want to do, um, you know, if you need to make these contingency plans, you need to get as much data and, and information as you can to make informed decisions. It's just common business sense, right? So they didn't do that. Then they decided, oh, then they um, were communicating with their schools. So they came up with a partnership uh, with the testing group, I think, first of the queue, I can't remember off the top of my head, but a couple weeks ago, they were like, oh, we have this great partnership, but they didn't tell the schools until right before they told the media when they had their information for a couple of weeks. So they sat on it. Then they announced the testing um, partnership, which is, which is great because it's, something that they need to move forward. But then they just sat on it again. Then the Big Ten is like, well, we want to come back. And then the Pac-12 is like, oh, crap, okay. So then they contact the states. 
then all this stuff is coming out that, well, now the schools and the coaches in the Pac-12 are frustrated because there's no leadership. Then they have a big meeting, and everyone thinks that that meeting is going to be the one that they're like, okay, let's, let's come up with a plan, you know, let's work through this. And then all they did is have a meeting to discuss about having another meeting, which was supposed to happen on Thursday. So they had a meeting to have another meeting, which is basically, you know, bureaucratic death in, in the corporate world. Then, then it comes out that um, the Pac-12 had a bunch of furloughs and um, layoffs, you know, like a lot of companies during COVID. But right before they did that, the executives took their uh, bonuses home. So Larry Scott took his $2.5 million bonus pretty, you know, um, uh, pretty shortly after that. Then there's layoffs and furloughs. So it's a really bad look. Um, from what I understand, they tried to move some of the bonuses up for some of the other people below him, so they kind of half did it right, but then completely screwed up for the rest of the people. Um, so all in all, the Pac-12 is completely dysfunctional right now. They're supposed to make a decision on Thursday where, whether it's a go or not, but then it's a problem because they waited until the 11th hour, so therefore... It, the timing of it is a big issue. So everyone's aiming for the October 31st or November 7th kickoff date. But if they start November 7th during that time frame, it might be too late. So teams like Oregon, who might have a shot to get into the college football playoff, might not be able to be considered if the college football playoff committee does not push their date back, which might happen because some of these games are getting postponed anyway. But that is the shortest version I can give you, Oscar, because it has been a whirlwind the last few weeks. It looks like you're happy about everything. It looks like you thoroughly went through <laughs> everything. You're really thrilled. <laughs> oh, my God. When I read all that and you brought it to my attention and you, you're posting on our, on our, group, uh, our group site, I'm like, what a disaster, right? Where is the leadership? It, it, Where is the heads it, up, like? My it's it's one of those things that you just and you know being a Pac-12 fan I know you're a, you know a UCLA person and you know the East Coast people make fun of us all the time you know and it's kind of yep. that thing where you just kind of take it but I don't think they realize that this is one of the things that's really held us back is that we don't have the leadership in those positions and it's not that we don't have players that can play. It's not that we don't have coaches that can coach. It's not that we don't have talent or teams that can play. No, no. It's, it's, it's the yeah. leadership. And, the, and in college football, it, um, it's a different beast than the NFL in that each individual school, it's just as much about the branding of your team as much as it is your performance on the field perception becomes reality in college football and it's always been like that part of it is a beauty contest and if right. you keep bringing you know it, it if you keep bringing if you're not putting your best foot forward in that regard then it really puts you behind the eight ball because the perception is that you know the sec rules everything and and that we can't play over here and so we don't get uh, you know, the the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, you know, previous years where you might have like a one-loss SEC team 
um, in an undefeated Pac-12 or one loss Pac-12 and an SEC team with two two losses. That plays into everything. And then if you get into the marquee matchups, you get more money, and that money goes back to the university, which creates more recruitment, which creates more uh, facilities. It's all tied together, right? So it matters, and that's one of the reasons why I think the Pac-12 has really slipped the last 10 years in that regard. Yeah, I think it really just hurts, like you said, it hurts them with the reputation like the SEC has the reputation as, you know, the best in the country. Where over here, it's like, right. to your point, we do have solid squads. We have probably three to four solid squads in the conference that can compete with probably an ACC, SEC, or even a Big Ten. But to your point also, the fact that the television uh, structure is really a knucklehead move, how do you not realize that, like to your point, that the time zones – are going to affect somebody really taking a look at you. It's like, that's, uh, I mean, how does that, that not work? And as a leader of the pack, the leader of the conference, you should be able to kind of notice that, right? Like, how do we not just start the games at 530, right? Or an hour earlier, two hours earlier, so that people can actually get, maybe on the East Coast, get to watch for at least an hour and a half, right? Maybe they don't get to watch the whole three hours. And it, it it sounds very simple, but it's actually true. And this is, um, you know, a few years ago, you know, we all know how great Christian McCaffrey is, right? Mm-hmm. But it's almost like some of the people were surprised when he, he joined the Panthers and was just, you know, tearing everyone apart. But anyone on the West Coast knew that it was going to happen because that's what he did in college at Stanford. He was just all over the mm-hmm. place. He was, I think – I think Christian and Reggie Bush are the most electric college football players I've ever seen live. Like you just said, any time they touch the ball, they could score. Right. But mm-hmm. he didn't win the Heisman and the Heisman builders that actually admitted, well, I never stayed up to watch him. So I didn't know. And I'm like thinking, well, number one, if you're supposed to vote for the Heisman, you should probably, you know, uh, take ownership and actually view some of the people that you're supposed to be voting on. But that aside, that's a problem, right? So you have to fight Mm -hmm. for those prime spots. And it's almost like they gave up in trying to compete with the SEC, like, prime slots. So they're just like, oh, you know what? We're just going to play at 730 at night, which is, like, it's good in that the the day is actually very long. So if you love college football, you can watch it from, you know, 9 a.m. to, like, uh, maybe, like, 1 in the morning bad because the people that aren't the diehard fans, the intermediate fans, the lukewarm people, the people that just occasionally watch football, those people are not going to stay up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning to, to watch. Correct. So you're going to miss a whole bunch of people. So I think that's a problem. Um, and then you can't really get the pack zone. Anytime that the Oregon has played on the network, I've had to work extra to try to like get like the app and then I have to like Make, it's like kind of a niche thing, and you can't yeah. really get it on um, like some of the bigger, you know, uh, from some of I the mean, bigger things. I mean, you get them on like some, of the regional, like some of the regional yeah. ones, but, you know, you, then you have to subscribe to everything, which is kind of ridiculous. Right. But anyways, um, which, which, you know, which then you have to up you, your own money. Right, which means you have to really be a diehard fan to go through all of that to, to get it, right? 
So you, you're yeah. no matter what, you're going to get the diehard people, but you really need the viewership of the intermediate group um, to pull in more of that money. And uh, so if you're losing them because you're expecting them to do five steps and then pay a subscription to something that they're not going to use other than for this app, then it's kind of silly. Well, it is silly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, but I mean, you would think him with the experience or any of that experience, you, I understand all this virus thing, but that still doesn't take away from basic business sense, right? To contact the state. Hey, what's the, what's the guidelines and what can we work with, right? To have a season or are you, are you neglecting us from having a season, right? Or are you completely stopping us from having a season, right? I'm right. pretty sure every right. restaurant owner, every business owner in, in, in every state, I'm pretty sure ended up what contacting the, the, the capital and to say, right. hey, why, why are you shutting my gym down? Right. Why can't I have certain right. guidelines for my gym? Why, why can't I have certain guidelines for my restaurants? I mean, you got restaurant people, uh, they couldn't have a capacity or a span of six feet or whatever. And all of a sudden they, they right. ended up throwing their stuff out in the parking lot. Right. Cause right. it's a bigger parking lot. It's a bigger square footage. And, and so they're they're doing takeout. They're doing you know other alternatives, right? So this could have been the same thing that uh, Larry Scott could have done with the Pac-12 and really assessed it that way to the point where well, how can we be proactive? It looks to me like you know this was just a, like to your point a total blunder, and that says a lot about him. Yeah, you know the interesting thing is is that he he's um, he's from tennis, so he didn't have any like big major sport experience when he took over, right? And mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that even though he came from tennis, I, I don't think that's quite um, a big enough excuse. I just think it's just common sense. And I think, like, to your point, look at all the small businesses that have had mm-hmm. to pull out all the stops. And they, some of them that I've seen have gotten really creative and how they keep people, you know, with the social distancing and um, people are creative and how, you know, they they will um, stagnate, like, their work shifts so that there's not as many people working. And people have gotten really creative, right? So, But in order to, to come up with solutions, you first have to get the information and all the data together in one place so you can make that informed decision. So it just mm-hmm. feels like, you know, they have not shown any inkling that they actually tried to do that. And there is right. no, there's no information that says, hey, we did our due diligence. We know this is important. We know we can't control everything, which is also valid. And you can't control a lot of things in life. But the, all you can do is the best you can and, and uh, get the information you need to try to make decisions. And I really don't think that, you know, the SEC – people just sat around and did nothing. I don't think the big 12 people have sat around and did nothing. You know, not at, all the conferences have issues, of course. Every, you know, that's evident. But I just feel like the past 12, it starts at the top. And there, and uh, there needs to be a change there, if not with Larry Scott himself, a change in the attitude. Um, and then the other, oh, I almost forgot, <laughs> there's been so many issues. So there was an article that of all the top, uh, the Power Five conferences, where their headquarters are located and how much rent per year they're paying for that. Mm-hmm. And the Pac-12 decided, because Larry Scott thinks, you know, this is good, a good idea, to be in downtown San Francisco, which uh, anyone that, you know, 
knows, California knows, that that is ridiculously expensive. So they're paying, I think they're paying like $9 million a year, where all the other conferences are paying like three, four 400000 a year, just so he can be in San Francisco, where he could easily be wow. in like Seattle or Portland or, you know, Salt Lake wow. or any other or like major market. California? Yeah. Well, <laughs> or Simi Valley? You did. <laughs> like any... Any, like, there's so many more options, right, like, in San Francisco, when you don't have the money to fund the people that you hire. Apparently has the money. (laughs) Apparently has money. There's a budget line for that, Uh, Holly. I don't think you realize there's a budget line for that. And he said, let's go big on that budget. Let's get it to that penny. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and then just – it's just not good, and it's really frustrating, you know, as a as a fan, and um, you know, the the Pac-12, uh, you know, fan bases. We do get after each other a bit, you know, depending on what school you're at. And I really, you know, I guess the good thing is I've noticed like it doesn't matter what school you're from, we're all upset. And I've had mm-hmm. a few days just going to Twitter and just entering in my search bar, Pac-12 or Larry Scott. Every day, it's just everyone's like, what is happening? So <laughs> it's entertaining, Bruin, but frustrating. As a Bruin fan, <laughs> I think I'm okay with it because we were not that great. But as a PAC conference, right. I think it's it's pretty bad. You know what I mean? Like to your point, with a lot of these things are bad. And then I think the worst part of the whole thing is it's like somebody can play it off. Like you can play off something, right? You can just say, well, right. you know, this is what we were going to do and play it off. But when you got the governor saying, hey, you never called me, and I'm like, that's, right. like, bad. <laughs> you, it it's is not bad. like you said, I reached out to them, and they said, hold off, and we're going to figure right. things out, right? No, they said, sure. you had never you never contacted us. We would have given you the green light. <laughs> it's like, that which is bad. Is, that's, is like, really, bad leadership. It, that is bad business. Uh, yeah, that's business 101. It's like, to your point, you should – you right. if, the, if the little people in – Every state, right? I mean, I've had right. uh, friends that obviously run businesses, right? Small business, large business. I, everybody in my community, right. in other words, you know, everybody was affected, right? I had a, a person that refused to go on DoorDash, refused to go on, you know, uh, Postmates, refused to go on all these, you know, outsourced takeout services. And then at the end, he had to go to them because what? Survival. He had to have options. Right. He had to have some clientele coming in. I think this is where Larry Scott really didn't think through, like, options. What do I do? I, sure, there's a virus. Sure, uh, there's guidelines for the virus. What can we do? Let's just get, you know, the information from the top, to your point. Let's figure out what are our restrictions and work around those. As you as you just mentioned right now, most all small businesses had to do the same thing, right? If I can't lay off my people, but, you know, I'll do my shifting of shifts, right? Or uh, as you and me are doing, hey, we'll do Zoom meetings, right? So everybody's working from home. We have an alternative. You can't come to the building or for whatever reason because we don't have, you know, the money to do COVID testing or we don't want to do uh, people so close together. But let's do Zoom, you know, and, and let's do work from home. So there's a lot of options he could have done, but he, I think he just failed. Ultimately, like, he gets an F, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's like, you know, like what you were saying um, – you know, for me as an Oregon fan, it, it's been doubly hard because I really mm-hmm. feel like we have a good season here. And 
you know, it's going to be really not fun for me as a as a fan if we end up playing and then Oregon, you know, goes like let's say we have a seven game uh, schedule, we go seven and zero, and then we can't be considered for anything because our commissioner couldn't get it together enough to get us back on the field in time. You know what I mean? And that's not to say that there's not other issues there are, and I and we all know that, but if you can't things at the top where you could literally have an intern that just calls up the states and says, Hey, are you there? Are we okay? What's the, what's the latest? What's happening? You know, like if you can't have somebody basic doing that, then that's a problem because what happens is that trickles down to all the other schools. Cause one of the issues they're having is like, for example, the big 10, when they said that they weren't going to play, a lot of those schools had their players stay where the Pac 12 they're like, okay, we're not playing. So they send their players home. So that's been an issue because now they're having to, like, get everyone back on campus. And that's a whole logistical nightmare that could have been resolved or or avoided. We can't play if they football had had with Zoom? What is this? <laughs> no. What? Well, I don't, know if, I don't know if Zoom is set up, you know, for that type of impact. I think we should um, just go Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 Madden. That's it. Have a, a season only on Madden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just the way it's got to be right now. It's kind of like we're laughing about it, but that's literally what we're end up with, right? Like you said, if we have no players, yeah. we have no logistics to put in place. Uh, what are you going to do? I mean, it's just a disservice to Oregon or to the top teams in the conference right. that could be competing for, you know, one of the national stage, uh, you know, programs. But you didn't do it, right? So I don't know. Right. It's just sad, right? Because all the all the press that was coming out, there was no, like, bright lighting, right? There was nothing that says, no. man, he did try doing that, or he did do this, or he he was attempting. No, none of it. Everything was like, he didn't right. even try. <laughs> I was like, okay. Right. And that was coming from everybody, everybody in every state. Right. I think I read everybody. What, Yahoo? I've read uh, pretty much San Francisco Chronicle, uh, you know, everybody in the Oregon, Oregon.com uh, Live. I mean, there's just a, a lot of intangibles behind it. So, um, can we finish up and say Larry Scott's a dunt, a dunt, or dud? It just, just yeah. failed. It's an F. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go F or flunky. Flunky is yeah, a good word. I agree on that. It's not too harsh, but we can still give him a hug and say, you got to try better. But flunky is a good <laughs> word. Um, I don't know. Um, anyways, so we do have a, a college football season. We did have week three. So I'm assuming the Pac-10 will get into the season at like week 12. I'm just kidding. And then they'll try to compete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So the two, two games. Which is bad. Yeah, yeah. Can we just get in for three games and see if we can qualify? All right. Um, so Miami's big road win at Louisville. We had Oklahoma State's comeback at, over Tulsa. USCF's victory at Georgia. Uh, Louisiana's rally in overtime to beat Georgia State. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, and Oklahoma uh, have the top four spots with Florida at number five, Georgia at number six. Um, so this is where we're at right now. And nobody, nobody, I talked about it last week with Nate, nobody figured the Citadel was going to be any competition for Clemson. So no surprise on the no. result there. No, and that game was over, I think, at the end of the first quarter, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the Citadel, the Citadel, they, they try, but, <laughs> 
they're just not, they don't have the talent. They don't have the horses to run with Clemson. Um, you know, I watched that uh, Oklahoma State-Tulsa game uh, because, like, we were talking about before, since I don't know where my team is coming back, I decided I'm adopting uh, Oklahoma State as uh, one of my uh, teams to watch until my team comes back. So I, I'm paying attention to them more. But it wasn't pretty, now. Holly. That no. wasn't pretty, and, uh, but it was it was and, okay. Uh, so you know, it's one of those things that their starting quarterback goes out. I think it was like the second mm-hmm. quarter or something like that, and you could tell that their their offense is built on on Sanders, their their starting quarterback, right? So mm-hmm. he goes out, and that seems to really kind of let the air out of their tires a bit. That their backup um, comes in, and he is just not the same guy and then on top of it the offensive coordinator got really conservative and um you know kind of uh pulled him back a lot and then i think he might have hurt his shoulder or something like that and then the freshman came in and i think you know if the if the starter can't go i think the freshman's going to be the guy um he had a lot of poise and confidence and it's one of those things that when i was watching it you can tell that the difference that the amount of work that quarterbacks are getting in high school going into college has greatly improved because it used to be that freshman quarterbacks could not do well in those types of situations, you know, but Mm -hmm. it seems like more and more freshmen, like true freshman quarterbacks coming in are more and more prepared. They're, they're, they're more technically sound. A lot of them are going to camps and a lot of them are going to various technique camps. So, you know, they're putting yeah. in the time, that's and their parents are actually putting in the dime. That's paying off because you can tell even, I guess, from now I, in the last 10 years, you can tell the difference, right? It used to be you mm-hmm. could every once in a while, like, you would get the generational guy or a handful of them that could do that. But now it seems more common that your, you know, your junior or senior guy goes down and your true freshman can just come in and, like, do really well. So um, I think mm-hmm. Oklahoma State will be fine. Um, you know, you know, just like the NFL, there's some rust to be knocked off and their game got rescheduled, I think twice. And, and so that's, you know, this is their time to kind of get the, the kinks out and hopefully get their starter back. And I think they'll be fine. Their defense is pretty solid. Yeah. Louisiana, uh, I guess, uh, Georgia state, um, Elijah Mitchell's touchdown in overtime helped the Raging Cajuns avoid a uh, letdown loss at Georgia State. So that was a pretty good game as well. Um, we had Virginia uh, Virginia Tech, I meant um, Memphis, due to COVID, uh, had to be rescheduled, of course. And so the Tigers make up the loss contest against uh, Stephen Austin uh, later in the season. So there's a couple games that were on the docket for week three. In terms of the rank, the rankings, not necessarily everything else, but the rankings. Um, and so there was a couple key games that we just, you know, like we were watching the UFC, uh, UCF uh, taking care of Georgia Tech behind Gabriel. Um, so he was he had a really good game, uh, 49-21 blowouts. And we kind of expected this, right, um, Holly, coming into it, once they said, hey, we're doing it, it's a regional type of attitude now, I guess. It's like women's football in a way, right? There's only going to be like five to six to eight teams that are going to be really good out of the 60. 
And this is literally where we're at in terms of college this season, I think. Well, it's interesting because you don't get as um, you're not getting as much like out of conference play, and you mm-hmm. your preseason you know timeline is all skewed. And the new normal, I, I really think, is going to be you're going to see a couple games canceled or postponed every week. And you know, mm-hmm. um, that being said, you know, talking about the college football playoff, I really think they should push the date back. You know, maybe a few weeks even to allow these games to be made up as much as possible and, and give um, more flexibility in that way. I do think that's probably going to happen, but I don't know when. Um, but in the meantime, you're right. I think you have the combination of um, the craziness of COVID. Um, some of these teams have had some cases, so they have to like isolate some of those people. Um, but I think right now, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see this weekend because as the SEC comes back in, um, I think we'll get some better matchups in the next couple of weeks. And then when the Big Ten comes back, you'll get more matchups. I think it speaks maybe more to the fact that the ACC doesn't have as much depth. Um, the Big 12 has a little bit more depth, but, um, you know, the ACC just doesn't have it. So when you have the ACC and they're very, I guess they're pretty top-heavy, then you have a lot of these games where they just kind of blow out. Um, but I think that should uh, correct itself once the other conferences start coming back. Yeah, well, I mean, these schools also go on that dollar thing where, you know, you get to face a certain team, you're supposed to get a certain amount of dollar intake. So I guess it helps the lower, lower, uh, you know, lower non-ranked teams or outer-ranked teams in some senses financially. That's the only thing that's really out of it in that sense. Um so we got coming up here is what um, this week we have Alabama returns at Missouri. It's going to be Saturday night on ESPN. So that should be a win by Alabama. And then we got Ohio state. We'll be taking on Nebraska on the 24th and still to be decided as you, to your point earlier, uh, don't know if it's going to happen or not, depending on what's going on there. Then we also have, Clemson Tigers uh, at Virginia, October 3rd, and that's to be decided or announced at this point. Um, The Oklahoma Sooners, they will play Kansas State on Saturday on Fox. Uh, So then Notre Dame, 2-0. They're going to take on Wake Forest on ABC. Georgia Bulldogs will take on Arkansas on the SEC Network. The Gators are going to go up against Ole Miss. Saturday on ESPN. You got Longhorns taking on Texas Tech on Fox. Penn State versus Indiana, also to be announced. Uh, LSU will be taking on Mississippi State on CBS. A&M, Texas A&M will take on Vanderbilt on the SEC Network. The Badgers taking on Illinois, and that will be on October 24th, and that's to be announced as well. Miami taking on Florida State on during ABC. Auburn will take on Kentucky on the SEC Network. And Michigan uh, will take on Minnesota as to be announced. Um, so there's a couple games coming up here this weekend on all the networks. So there's, like, no lack of college. The only, the only difference, like I said, is going to be the expectation is you're not going to get very competitive, very good competitive games on the docket pretty much. It's just, like, a given now. 
I think that will start to even out as we get further along in, in the season. Um, I do really want to see um, the Mississippi State LSU game because, you know, LSU doesn't have Joe Burrow and they lost, you know, their top, I guess, two, three receivers. And that's really what their offense – and they lost their starting running back. So most of their offense is gone. So I'm really interested to see, you know, what their dynamic is going to be like at LSU um, and if they're going to be able to to compete at that same level as they were last year. Um, And then, you know, I'm also looking forward to see uh, what Alabama does as well for similar reasons. And, you know, those are – there's always, you know, like five or six schools every year that – you know, talent is king in college football. And when these few schools, no matter how much talent they lose to the draft, they restock, restock, restock. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. to see um, how they're able to do that and if the people that they, they recruited are able to step into those shoes um, and um, or, or not. You know, so every once in a while they have a, a recruiting class that doesn't produce and they go backwards. But usually they're pretty consistent. So it's interesting to see – uh, who steps up next in those schools. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens with that. Um, I'm really liking um, and, uh, De'Aaron King from Miami, the quarterback. He's really exciting to watch. Um, so that's a guy to watch out for. Uh, and then everybody's excited about Notre Dame, but I'm not sold on them yet because I always have. I am, Notre Dame has to prove a lot to me every year because I get really they're kind of like the Yankees or like the Cowboys in that if they're halfway decent, they get so much attention and they get, oh, their value is overinflated um, on the field a lot. So I'm always hesitant to, to actually buy into teams like that until I see them actually producing. Um, so Notre Dame, I still have a question on, uh, but there's are some decent matchups, but it's more like the, Hey, uh, introduction to this season to some of these teams of like, who are you this year? And are you still good from last year or are you better? Are you worse? That's kind of what this weekend is. And, the, and maybe a week or two, you'll start to see better matchups, I think. Yeah, I think that's where we're at. I, the excitement's still there um, for us, obviously not because we're in the Pac-12, but we still get, we're going to look forward to Big Ten opening up here. Obviously the SEC is always enjoyable. Um you know, we're just going to get more blowouts basically at this point, depending on week to week, what's going to happen. So we'll dive into um, the college football scene week four. Uh, we'll get some of the things at the hub at facebook.com forward slash greater beauties. You guys can get all the, the latest there uh, from Anthlon as well as from Yahoo sports. So check it out at the hub and get the rundown there of what happened in week three college football. Um, Holly, let's go into week two of the NFL recap. And so NFL week one was pretty exciting. We had, you know, some people thinking the ratings are going to go bad. Nothing's going to happen here because of the protests, because of the unity lines, uh, all that stuff. It looks like the players have already decided, hey, we're not coming out for the anthem. Let's just move on and play games. So everything's kind of toned down in that sense. Um, There are individual players obviously still afforded their right to kneel or stand or you know, raise an arm however they want to do it at this point, which the NFL has um, came out and said this is basically the the whole season that we were uh, addressing. Um, And so they've done that. And so week two, 
we're back to football. Um, last week, uh, Holly, uh, between me and Nate, I got a tweet saying that uh, maybe it's time to put Jameis Winston back in uh, Tampa Bay because of Tom Brady's first game loss, which I think was a little overblown. <laughs> and then he comes back and wins this week. So there you go. You know, <clears throat> it was really funny to watch. Okay, so it's one of these things that just happens every offseason. There's always one or two teams that all the national pundits are like, oh, my God, they're going to win the Super Bowl because they, they're just looking at them on paper. They're like, oh, look at all these big names that they acquired. And football is, is a bit more complicated than that. It has a lot to do with chemistry, the scheme that you're running, how well those people are gelling together. And what people, I think, are forgetting is that there was no preseason, right? So you have Tom yeah. Brady, who is – you know, coming from the Patriots, all he knows is the Patriot way, which is extremely detail-driven. He's been kind of, per, he's been kind of, um, I guess, a word protected in that way, and then that, that's the only thing he knows. So he comes to Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians is a bit more relaxed in some areas and a bit more he shoots from the hip type of guy, right? He is not Belichick. That is not good, but he's not Belichick. It's a different culture. Right, so you can tell in the first two games that Brady is having a hard time, I think, adjusting to that difference, and that this is a different culture, right? And so, um, from what I understand, even though he played a lot better in this second game, he's still not quite on the same page as, as some of his teammates. There was a, a running back that went the wrong way and didn't have his um, arms up and ready for the handoff, and Brady got really upset. <clears throat> because those are detailed things that would not fly in New England, right? And so they haven't had time to, like, gel, and he hasn't had time to really adjust to the culture difference. Um, and so I really think you can't really judge Brady and, and, the, and the Bucks until maybe halfway through the season. But I also don't think it was fair to say that they were going to win the Super Bowl just because they had these names that came on board. I do think right. they're going to be competitive. I do think they could uh, make the playoffs, um, but I don't. It's kind of like what everyone did to the Browns a year ago. Everyone's like, "Oh my God, they got you know Odell, and they they oh it's going to be awesome. They're going to go to the Super Bowl." And then you can't do that and, and without seeing them play together first. You have to see what it actually looks like on the field when they start producing. They be like, "Yes, okay, they have something, right?" So I do think that they're competitive. I do think they can get to the playoffs and maybe make, make a run. But I don't think it's fair to, to put such high expectations in off season. Then when he doesn't produce as well in the first game, that you're all jumping ship and you think that Winston should come back, which is just kind of silly. Winston had 30 interceptions. <laughs> 30. <laughs> 30 interceptions. Hey, Tom had two in week day. one. Holly, two, <laughs> yes. 30. However, I mean, there's 27 however, more to 30, go. I don't know. Somebody said, uh, I think somebody said, like, Winston left here at 30 picks, and it led to, like, 100 in, like, 15 points for the opposition. And so if Brady just does half of that, if he has less than 15 picks and less than 60 points, they, they could easily make the playoffs, right? So the bar is not really that high from from Winston to Tom Brady, right? And And some of those things that you're talking about, interceptions, some interceptions, they're not all created equal. Sometimes it's no, no. the um, quarterback not reading the defense, 
Sometimes it's the receiver not running the correct route or not running mm-hmm. the route correctly. Tip balls. So yes, sometimes there's tip balls which are always very frustrating, you know, because sometimes you just can't control that, right? So those happen, and in, so I think I think the company is going to be just fine. But I think I think everyone should just kind of chill out on either direction. They're not going to be great. They're not going to be terrible. They're going to be competitive and just kind of roll with it and let them have a chance to grow. Holly, the division is a lot tougher than the AFC East, right? you got to give them that. That's Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, way different than, you know, the Bills, Miami, and the Jets. <laughs> it's a totally different division. It's always that's a dogfight in that division. That's definitely true. Yes. Yeah. So that's a challenge for him, too. Like you said, new system, new new coach, uh, new players, new teammates, no preseason. There's intangibles there. Um, I just thought it was funny. You know, maybe we'll pull out that tweet in six weeks when he's really bad, and then it'll be justifiable to call just like Winston, right? But we'll wait six weeks from now to figure out if we have to re- recycle, you know, recycle and retweet that tweet again. Um, Holly, if you're the Falcons, and if you're a fan of the Falcons, um, the last play against the Cowboys, which you give them the win, what what are this has happened. This happened in the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> like, and now it happened against the Cowboys. The Cowboys were supposed to lose. Sorry, Mac. She's coming in here in a couple of minutes. But the Cowboys were supposed to lose. That's literally what it was. Okay, here, and they end up winning 40 to 39. Here's the thing. I'm like, you know, I'm watching, um, like, my game and, like, other games. And I'm seeing, like, updated scores. And I'm like, wow, what happened to the Falcons? Because – you know, when I watched them last week against the Seahawks, I wasn't that impressed. I was like, wow, maybe they took a step back. They they just didn't seem very cohesive on um, on the offense. And then so they seemed to have rectified that early in the game, and they were blowing the Cowboys out. And I was like, what is happening with the Falcons, you know? And then, then, I, saw, then I saw, like, the last few minutes of the game, and I was like, I was like, okay, so the Cowboys score – and I'm like, well, now they have mm-hmm. to do an onside kick. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm kind of to the point as a, as a, you know, fan that I'm like, I, I think they should get rid of the, the onside kicks because it is so hard to do now. Because when you could, when the rules were different and you could uh, run up to the kick and you had a running start, you had so much more ability to get to that ball, Right. And I understand why they took that away and why they took away the ability to overload one side or the other to safety issue, and I get that. But now it's, like, nearly impossible. Like, the kicker has to, like, kick it, like, it has to be, I don't even know, like, one out of 100. It has to be with the you know, bump, time. a spike, it has or it has to, to be has some to, sort of bounce. bounce. It has to bounce in a certain way, like a crazy ball right. to, to get it, and the chances of that are extremely low. Because as the kicking team, if you're not the kicker and you're on the line, you don't have the ability to run up anymore. So you're from a standstill. So it takes a minute to, like, mm-hmm. get up to full speed. And by the time you do, it's really hard, right? So I'm, like, thinking, oh, you know you know what? The Falcons will just land on the ball and the game will be over. So then the kick happens and it's, like, spinning. And here's something as a player that I've told, I don't even know how many, like, years like I'll, I'll tell all the rookies on my team i'm like look when you're on the receiving team you don't have to wait 10 yards you fall on the ball 
if you're even, like, thinking about it, fall on the ball. Make the ref make that decision. Don't let the ball just spin around or roll around, right? Because as a receiving team, you don't have to wait 10 yards. You can just fall on it. If you're the kicking team, you have to wait 10 yards or it has to somebody, you know, it has to be 10 yards, right? So you're watching five grown men who are in, in the NFL all within a yard or two of the ball, and it's spinning and it's spinning. And the Cowboys, there's like one or two of them, and they're like, you could tell that they were surprised that the Falcons weren't falling on it. And they're like, well, you're not going to fall on it? Okay. And it just kept spinning and spinning. And then as soon as it went 10 yards, they just fell on it. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, I'm sorry, Falcons fans. It's happened again. Like, their special teams person really, like, I don't even know. I would I would make them all run because you could see, like, one guy having, you know, a, um, a brain fart and, like, just freezing. But all, like, four or five guys at the same time. It was it was just it was a sad it, and it's one of those things. It is that, like in their DNA, Holly, to them for collapse. Second half collapses are like is in their DNA. I don't know why. This it is, happens all the time. It is. It's like twenty nine to I ten, right? Twenty nine to ten, Cowboys are done. Just play your game, run out the clock. No. Cowboys come back. They they do the second half of the what, six second half possessions? Five out of six I think right. it was that they had. And they, they did basically come back on that. They allowed him to come back. And then this happens right. under the two minutes, and you do this. I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And this should have never been a loss. This should have been a win. They should have been right there, got their win. Uh, Cowboys would have been 0-2, and it wouldn't have mattered because they're 0-2, and the media talks about them every day, whether they're bad or good. So they're going to get the limelight either way. Or we were we're going to be talking about you know how Dak Prescott and and Ezekiel uh, uh, Elliott what what what's going on with them right that kind of deal on the TV too on the networks and everything else. Um, so Falcons fans, if you're <laughs> I don't know what to say at this point. Just it was just bad. It was just bad. And somebody not knowing that you have to like to your point, Holly. Somebody not knowing that you got to drop on that ball. Uh, you're a pro football player. I'm pretty sure you've been taught that since Pee Wee, but. Guess not. It's crazy, right? Yes. Oh, it's definitely crazy. I just think that and think about this, like Matt Ryan, poor Matt Ryan has been in so many of his mm-hmm. games and they just fall apart. And um I just I don't know. I think in in if you're somebody you know what's gonna happen though, is it like the media is like, Oh my god, Look at the Cowboys coming back, and really, they did come back. You know, they 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 didn't give up, which is to their credit. But really, the Falcons had no business losing this game. Yeah, they had no business losing this game. They just none. It, it was just crazy. Um, Holly, uh, Cam Newton goes to the Patriots. We're worried about Brady and Tampa Bay. Um, I think the Patriots are going to be okay, even though they lost this one game at you know at the at the one yard line where. He couldn't get in, but it does make the Patriots a little bit more. Uh, I think, uh, in terms of my eyes, I think they're they're better with Cam than they would with Brady in a sense in terms of options because he can run it, he can sling it. Uh, it once he gets his groove going with a couple of these players, Edelman and everybody else, I think this is a good opportunity for him. Thought he was over the hill before Belichick picks him up, and and what a move, right? Belichick's a, 
Belichick picks up Cam Newton to replace Tom Brady. We thought it was going to be Hogan, and here we are. You know, it's one of those things that um, I would like to point out. I warned everyone. I was like, because <laughs> everyone's like, oh, the Patriots are going to be terrible. And I'm like, no, they, as long as Belichick is there, they're going to find a way to be competitive, whether or not they have this, the players or not. And when they went into the draft, I was really curious because I'm like, are they going to go with a quarterback? Are they, like, what are they going to do? And it seems like they were more concerned about retooling their defense. And I was like, okay, that makes sense because some of their defensive players were getting older, and I, and I get that. So then I was like, okay, well, what are they going to do for quarterback? And then uh, they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. And then I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, maybe – maybe they're just going to roll into the season and then uh, hopefully they can get a quarterback in next year's draft, you know, but then they pulled out Cam Newton and you're right in that everyone thought Cam was done. I didn't think he was done, done, but what I am really happy about is that it seems like there's a combination of a, a couple of things happening. Number one, he's healthy. He's been out a minute. He's had a chance to heal and when he was with the Panthers, he had numerous injuries, and they were nagging, and he, it seemed like he was never, like, 100%. He seems pretty healthy now, right? Then on top of it, he was really excited to go play for the Patriots because he was like, you know what? I have Belichick on the sideline. I'm going to learn something. And you can tell that he's improved. Like, his normal – Oh, no, he's a totally different player. Panthers, when plays would break down – he would probably pull the cord a little too soon at times and take a, a little bit too much and too many hits, you know? Um, but it mm-hmm. seems like now he's, he's willing to hang in the pocket more. And when he runs, he, he, he still runs, but he seems a bit more protective of himself. And when he runs, it seems like most of the time it's actual uh, play calls for him to run and, and less of him running because it, it breaks down. And then, so I think the Patriots are going to be just fine. I do think they probably need another weapon at receiver, maybe. I think uh, uh, Keneal Harry can develop, but um, he's more of a possession guy somewhere uh, to Edelman. I think they maybe need one more deep threat. Um, I think defensively they're still Beard. Pretty, oh, pretty good. Beard is probably going to be okay. I think they got Beard in there yeah. and uh, Harry – and then, obviously, Edelman's kind of injury-prone still. I mean, he's a reliable and good guy. But I really, like, to your point, yeah, they need to upgrade somewhere. They need to find somebody else that can step in and kind of give them. And then, uh, obviously, Cam gives them height, which uh, Brady probably oh, yeah. not as much. And then he gives them, uh, like you said, a, an option, right? If, if the play breaks down, he's able to get you that first down. If, if, if anything, the first down. Kind of run around and try to get the yeah. first down. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, on that last play uh, on the goal line, um, Mm -hmm. I think he's going to, um, you know, be a little sad when he he sees the film because his uh, teammate to the left of him made a block, and if he had uh, pulled up and then bounced out, nobody was outside. But I don't know why he was jumping from, like, two. Like, he was too far out to try to jump like that. So that, that was probably not a good play. Um, but other than that, I think he played like really, really well. And I think and that, Seattle uh, played him very tough. To Defensively, yeah, oh, Seattle sorry. played a very good game, and they took care of him. Yeah. I mean, really tight. So it wasn't like you know yeah. he earned every yard. 
and he was earning every every yard on, almost on every play. So they played really well. I mean, Seattle was – I mean, they got to be proud of the fact that they just held them off. But, I mean, they did a great well, job there. Um, Your boy, Justin Herbert, almost beat Mahomes. And yeah. this is this – is, yeah, this was really fantastic against uh, the champs. I think he's he had 311 yards, a touchdown. Uh, he's just basically – having a great year at this point. He's going to, I think if this is the solution, uh, because I think it was Tyrod Taylor that they picked up and they were going to have him on the bench, but now here we are. Well, it's one of the things that apparently what happened is I didn't know he was going to start is that right. It's sometime in pregame. Taylor hurt his, uh, I guess, chest. And so Justin didn't know he was starting until, like, right before the the, uh, the coin toss. And so he goes out there, and, like, he was awesome. Like, he – and here's the thing about Justin that I wish people understood is that he's always been very talented. He's always had the intangibles. He's always had the size. But at Oregon, he had four different offensive coordinators in four years – or, I guess, three, three and four years. And then the last guy that uh, we had an offensive coordinator was extremely conservative, extremely. And it was really frustrating as a fan because it felt like he put handcuffs on Justin. He didn't allow him to create like you could see that Justin could create, right? And so I really think that hampered his numbers and his production. And so people kind of slept on him um, when they were high on him his junior year. And so it's not that that talent went away. It just that the scheme and the way he was used changed. And so you you could tell that that was a factor because he went when he went to the Senior Bowl and he played amazing and all the coaches uh, were raving about him. It was because he was in a different system that allowed him to be who he is. So I think the Chargers are a good fit for him because that offensive scheme allows him to be who he is, right? And so he had poise. He, 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 I think, only made, like, I would say probably two mistakes that he'll learn from because he's extremely smart. This guy won the um, academic Heisman and had, I think it was like a 4.3 GPA, which is ridiculous, in biology. It wasn't like communications or, you know, something that's a little less strenuous. This is biology. That's, that's difficult at that level, right? And so I think, he's smart enough that he's going to learn from his mistakes. And I think he's the guy with the Chargers. And um, I remember talking to you and saying when um, he got drafted that I was like, mm-hmm. really sad because the Charger fan base was like just extremely negative. And so now I'm feeling like, well, hey, I told you guys <laughs> that you drafted a good one. <laughs> and uh, so now this is, a, all, this is all an example <laughs> that you gave us with, with they let go of Rivers. And you said, this right. guy's coming in. He's not the same as Rivers, but he could be better than Rivers. That's what you said. You I said think it's so. Like, you know, because you said Rivers is kind of volatile. Uh, Herbert is so somewhat stable, but still effective. So I think the, the Chargers, uh, you know how Kurt Warner, I mean, uh, you know, when Kurt Warner got his opportunity, I think this is kind of a similar right. aspect in terms of the Chargers, where somebody goes down, uh, maybe it's not prolonged for uh, Taylor, but maybe the coaching staff's going to look at Herbert in a different way. I think so, because I think he proved something. you got to consider that, again, that there's no preseason, right? And normally preseason mm-hmm. is a time where you get um, to see your young, you know, quarterback. And, 
And then when they had like the training camp, it was a lot of walkthrough stuff. And, and so he didn't get a lot of live action like you probably would normally in normal years. And I think that like he has the height and the stature, um, you know, in, um, to, to be stand in the pocket guy, but he's also very athletic and quick. And so he can, he can make moves out of the pocket as well. He can, he can make plays with his feet, which he did on the first touchdown. And so there's, there's stuff there and he's just really bright. And so then the, the great thing about him is he's bright and humble, which is what you need at that level, because in the NFL, especially at quarterback, you have to be humble enough to learn. You have to be humble enough to say, hey, what did I do wrong on this play? How can I do better? How can I look at the defense differently and take that instruction? And he's that guy that will do that. And so I think as long as um, – and that's the other, the other part is that, you know, a couple of years ago I thought the Chargers were going to make a run until they had all these injuries and then uh, Rivers fell off. They still have a lot of talent, a lot of talent. And so that makes it easier when you're a rookie quarterback because he has weapons to throw to you. He has, you know, decent protection. So I think, I think he's going to do well there. Now, Holly, um, new stadium for both Rams and Chargers. So this is really exciting. Golf is off to a good start. The Rams are off to a good start. Chargers uh, almost, you know, here with the great, uh, with the great effort. So it's going to be exciting for anybody too bad we don't have fans at SoFi, but anyways, at this point, it's going to be pretty exciting to revive the Charger franchise, maybe as a fan base in Los Angeles at this point. Um, let's go back into some doom and gloom here. The Niners end up losing, you know, some some key players, Boza, um, Mosert, uh, and Garoppolo. Um, so, and then on top of that, it was uh, Saquon Barkley as well. So that damn turf in um, the Meadowlands, I don't think they've changed it. They've had injuries there before. So I think it's Astro, old AstroTurf. So I don't know if that's an issue in itself. Well, okay. So this season, I mean, this season with the Niners is, is basically kind of, um, I guess, a, a case study or record cause of, of 2020 as a whole, if you're a Niners fan. And uh, we have, like, our, we have, I think it's nine starters. So that are injured in some capacity, nine out of 22 starters. And we are only two weeks in, right? We already had going into the game. We had Sherman out. Um, you know, we had uh, Kittle out. Um, and we had, uh, in this game, we had Thomas go out with an ACL. We had Bosa go out with an ACL. And those two guys are the heart of the defensive line. And the, the defensive team is, the focal point is the defensive line. So, and then we also have uh, D Ford, who is now out indefinitely. Mostert, who's out with a knee injury. Kelvin Coleman is out with a knee injury. Jimmy's out with an ankle injury. It, it, I think that it might be a nine or ten starters now. But I guess that the the caveat and the good part to that is that, despite all that, the Niners actually play really well. And the second string guys that came in actually played really well. And so we went shopping and we picked up a couple of players. We picked up because uh, we need, we had some injuries at the receiver. So Debo Samuel was still out. Um, we picked up some new. We picked up uh, Ziggy Ansa. We picked up 
uh, a couple other pieces, you know, that will probably get us through. The good news is our schedule is kind of soft the next three or four weeks. We play the, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Eagles. Um, and so if we can win, even if we win the ugly, uh, some of those guys will come back because um, a chunk of them are more like mild, like three to four week type of injuries. Um, I think we can still be okay. It just sucks because some of those guys were like the heart of your team. Like Boza and, and Solomon Thomas, those are big blows. That's like losing Von Miller for the for the Broncos. Like that that hurts, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we can't make a run. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of national people start to go back to sleep on the Niners because they're just going to assume that they're just going to fall off, which I don't think is the case. Because considering all those injuries, we still – I mean, the Jets are not very good, but we still – we handed it to them. And we had guys that were our third-string guys that were getting sacks, you know. So we still played well. And we have some guys that, that came back. You know, we have Jordan Reed now who's the – I think he had two touchdowns. Um, and he came – you know, he's been injured forever. We had uh, uh, Cannon who's been injured forever that's playing really well. So we have some people. We have some pieces. And then the big good news is that Jimmy's ankle is not as bad as they originally thought. And so he's actually week to week now. So we should get him. I, I would doubt he would play this week, but we'd probably get him back in a couple of weeks. We should get Kettle in a couple of weeks. We should get Sherman back in a couple of weeks. So it's not over. It just really sucks in the moment. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not devastating, but at the same time, it takes him away. The next man up is really the issue. Um, it, it's a good right. win for them because they were kind of up up and up and then playing the Jets, and the Jets are really just not a really good squad anyways. Um, so it's a good good thing for them. 1-1, one, one, uh, you know, it's kind of 0-0 zero, zero at this point for them, starting off week week three. So that's going to be good. Uh, in Baltimore, 14 straight for uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, Houston's gotten issues here with Watson. They start off 0-2. Um, Jackson throws for over 200 yards, a touchdown. Um, at this point, he's got Edwards, Ingram, and Dobbins going combining for a lot of yards here. Um, what do we say of Houston? Is are they going to get back on track, or is this going to be this is the way it's going to be for right now? Um, I'm a little worried about them. I, I think that DeAndre Hopkins meant a lot to their offense, mm-hmm. and I think that they're they're struggling to kind of find their new offensive identity. Um, you know, in week one, they just they just kind of look kind of blah. And I don't know, you know, it, and it's crazy because you're like, well, Deshaun Watson is a really solid quarterback. And don't know if, like, they are gelling very well after Hopkins left. And so I think it might take them some time to kind of refine that. Um but right now, I think they're underachieving. So hopefully, maybe they're one of those teams that, and, and I've said this before, because there's no preseason, I don't think we're really mm-hmm. going to know who is really good or not until probably week seven or eight. Because these, you know, we're coming into week three. That would be week three in the preseason. And nobody usually has their stuff together in week three in the preseason. You know what I mean? So it's going to be a minute before that starts to filter out. So hopefully... Uh, the Texans, you know, maybe they'll be one of those teams that it takes them a couple weeks to get off the ground 
um, and then they can write the ship. Holly, uh, Josh Allen, is this the new Philip Rivers? Will he become the new Philip Rivers, which is basically a great quarterback at, you know, past thrown, thrown over 300 yards every week and putting up some good yardage, but not putting up any wins at this point, you know, adding touchdowns and wins. I mean, stat, in other words, his stats are going to be awesome, but that's pretty much it, right? He, he'll go down as probably well, as but one of Buffalo's best quarterbacks you've ever had since, uh, what's his name? Um, I can't remember the Hall of Famer at this point. Uh, Bill's quarterback. Jim Kelly. Kelly. Jim Kelly. Yeah. So I'm just saying he's think- one of the top guys here. And this week alone, he was right in line with uh, Tannehill, who's revived himself in Tennessee. Then you have uh, Goff, who played really well against uh, the Eagles. Then your boy, Jimmy, played really well against the Jets. And then, obviously, Russell uh, against the Patriots. So, um, Josh Allen basically is just, you know, airing it out, basically. You know, uh, here's the thing that we have to realize, though. Here are the two teams he's played so far, the Jets and the Dolphins. Those are not very good teams. Ouch. Ouch, Holly. What's going on? Ouch. (laughs) So he's played well, but I don't think he's been challenged yet this year. Do I think he could become like a Philip Rivers? I'm not sold on that yet. I do think that he's probably going to be one of the best Bills quarterbacks that they've had. Yes, I I think that's accurate. But, I mean, you guys played them this week. Um, The Raiders have improved a bit. Uh, Then they play the Titans and the Chiefs. It's going to get a little bit harder in the middle of their season. So if he, if we're looking at like week eight and he's played some better teams and he's still producing, then yes, let's have that conversation. But I think right now it's it's too early. I mean, having watched the Jets play against the Niners, they were honestly they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in in the league this year. They were pretty bad, and on top of that, they have some really key injuries. Um, and so the Dolphins are like. Uh, I don't know, maybe like a four or five win team. Maybe maybe they can push higher. Maybe if, if Tua can get in there, that might, you know, change the dynamic a bit. But right now, I don't see the Dolphins doing a whole lot. So I do think your team is, in, is, is better than I thought they were going to be so far. So let's see what he does against, um, you know, Aaron Donald this weekend and see what he does when he has that kind of pressure. Yeah, we want to put him against some competitive play. I agree with you before yeah. we give him the anointment. All right, uh, let's bring in uh, McKenzie because I know you got a bail, Holly. So let's bring in the uh, salty one in the house here, and we're going to be talking this coming week in terms of the games and all that. Um, so thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. And then uh, we'll, we're going to dive Thank into uh, NFL, the NFL Week uh, 3, and then we're going to dive into the women's game. So, Thank you, Holly, once again for coming in and giving us all your insights and college football uh, insights as well. All right, Mackenzie, Cowboys win. I don't know Falcon fans oh. happy. I'll tell you that right now. Look, I'll tell you this. <laughs> My being a diehard Cowboys fan and watching just the first 10 minutes of that game, there's no way I would have predicted a comeback like that. But the scary part is, is, Dallas had so many chances before the end, before the middle of the third quarter to bring the lead back or to even, you know, stay with the Falcons at that point. And then something must have happened during halftime because the third quarter came out, they came out guns blazing. I was at a softball game, like playing game and watching 
uh, watching the Dallas game about the same time every time I'm going to the dugout. So I was very, uh, very surprised. And the the saddest part about it is that there's not been a comeback like that in I think they said 87 years or something. It was like 87 oh, yeah. years. Um, and uh, they went. Dak had like 400 passing yards, three rushing touchdowns. It was 450. A pass three touchdowns. Yeah. And that was a. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a previous record was 317. And that was back by, a, a, I think, a Jack Kemp of the Buffalo Bills in 1963. So you got to go back a lot of, uh, a lot of years. That's crazy. So that was a great well, I comeback. Was... I mean, what do you say, Mac, what do you say if you're a Falcons fan? This is like the revisit of that Super Bowl collapse. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is, to be honest. That, that's, uh, you can't rob me. What can you say? If you're a Falcons fan, you're hating life right now. If you're if you're a true Dallas fan and you're not rational, you're not happy about that the way we won, but you're happy that we won. That's that's where I'm at. I'm glad that we won, and I'm glad that we were able to stay to come back. But we don't ever need to be putting ourselves into that kind of a position again. Um, and after after that game, because I I had put my phone down to go you know, to go out and play and got the thing on my watch thing, Dallas won 40 to 39, and I about lost my entire mind. I know, and, and that was shocking for me because when I was the same thing, like Holly said, you, you didn't expect it because they were up like 29 to 10. You think the game was over the way they were playing, and here we are, we get a shocker. And then the shocker of shockers is the fact that nobody went for the ball on that onside kick. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, what are oh, we doing here, man. people? Nobody goes for the ball. Look, <laughs> cool. look if I'm, I mean, if I'm Dallas, you know, that's a good, it's a good strategy, especially the way he had the ball on the ground and mm-hmm. kicked it was mm-hmm. just perfectly strategized. Like, you know, you you attempt you attempt the the, the uh, fake punt and you miss you don't get the first down. Then you fumble three times, twice recover, well, once recovered and twice turned over. Um, you let a 96-yard punt return go back, like go back for a touchdown. So if, yeah, at that point, you're Dallas and you're just, you're kicking yourself in the behind like multiple times in that game. And then the one time you need something to happen, you know, kick, or, kick it perfectly and goes 10 yards, and anybody from Dallas knows that they can't touch the ball until it, you know, until it hits that ten-yard marker or goes just past it. And the fact that nobody from the Atlanta Falcons touched it, because if you're the Falcons' front line, as soon as the ball is kicked, you can touch the ball. Nobody touched the ball, and I'm sitting there like, you have got to be kidding me right now. Like I, I definitely thought I was like, okay, onside kick, they're, you know, Atlanta's gonna get it, and we're gonna go zero and two. Definitely didn't expect Dallas to get the onside kick and recover it, let alone Dak and the receiving core to put them into field goal kick territory and they kick a 47-yard field goal for a one-point win. <laughs> like nobody mm-hmm. would have ever – that was not something that you would have expected at that point. I know it was just exciting. I mean, the the way they played against the Rams in week one wasn't their best effort, and that's, you know, when they fall. And then starting off this this game with up to the halftime wasn't almost more of the same. And for them to come back and win by one 
and then strangely enough for that, um, and then obviously Atlanta fans are going to be like, just they're still thinking right now what, what happened. This is just not cool, and it happened. Um, uh, Mac, uh, do we? I mean, Nick Foles was supposed to be this huge guy that saves the Jacksonville Jaguars, and now we got Gardner Minshew uh, as a team starting quarterback. So it, you know, Foles couldn't even beat out Trubisky for the starting job in Chicago. So if you're a Jags fan, this is kind of revitalized. He's been putting up really good numbers. They get beat by a field goal against the Titans. But I tell you what, I had this guy in one of my fantasy cards uh, on FanDuel, and he put up a lot of points for me. So if you're a Jags fan, this guy could be the second coming of a good quarterback for you and maybe gives you some hope. You know, I have a I have a couple of diehard Jacksonville fans. Um as some friends, and they love them from Gardner Minshew. And to be honest, I'm kind of hopping them, hopping on that Gardner Minshew bandwagon a little bit. Gardner Minshew's got some swag to him. I don't know what the heck. It might be his last name. It might be his whole name. It might be that 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 flowy hair and the goofy stash. But he's a he's a guy. Like he is an it guy. Like and, and he's talented. And that's the thing is like you know people don't realize that. Some of the best talent have come from, you know, picks that weren't number one and, you know, picks that weren't highly sought after, you know, second second string quarterbacks, third string quarterbacks, stuff like that. So, you know, and you, know, and you still have to give respect to Nick Foles because if without Nick Foles, the Eagles don't have a Super Bowl, to be honest, because, you know, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz is out that, you know, out the rest of that season. Nick Foles, you know, nobody expected Nick Foles to – carry them to the Super Bowl, let alone win the damn thing. So you still have to give that respect with Nick Foles. And I think anywhere he goes, I think he's going to have that respect because of where he was at the time when he won that Super Bowl ring. And the same respect with, you know, with those other teams, those new teams that he's gone to and, you know, couldn't get the starting spot. He has to look at himself as a player and figure out what am I doing that's not that I'm not being able to step up and, and, you know, be considered for as a starter. So. Mac, uh, what do we say of these lions? These lions are looking pretty bad for through two weeks. They're off to a, you know, horrible, uglier, uh, Owen two. They, they had a lead 14 to three against, uh, green Bay late in the first. And they, they lose by 21 points. Uh, they get blown out. Uh, they blow a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Bears. So, man, they, they're finding a way to lose. They're finding a way to lose at this point. Uh, well, if I'm Detroit, I'm figuring out where my weakest links are and going from there. And, and right now it seems to be some of the receiving core outside of their tight ends, their running game, and Stafford. Stafford is not – I mean, Stafford is still an electric guy. He's still, you know, he's still a guy, kind of like Gardner Minshew, but Gardner Minshew is having success, and Matthew Stafford is not having success right now. And I don't know if that's just because he's getting up there in age or if he's just, you know, not – if something's not clicking on all cylinders with his receiving core. I mean, hell, he could – he literally could be throwing 10-yard outs, 8-yard outs, T.J. Hawkinson, and T, I mean T.J. Hawkinson gets him yards after pass. T.J. Hawkinson does not drop balls very often. So why they're not looking towards 
their tight end scheme is beyond me because they run a double tight end set, which and I, which is great, but you can't run that kind of set without knowing the coverage on that. And you and and it seems to me that Gardner or not Gardner Richard, but um that Stafford is having trouble seeing that, especially in just in the you know like because that Green Bay game they had they had they had Green Bay on their heels about ninety percent of the first half. And then mm-hmm. something happened, and just we're gonna blow a lead. I mean, and I am the biggest, the the biggest uh, Green Bay Packers hater on earth. So anytime they lose, or anytime I can talk about them in a negative manner, I will, um, because that's just how I feel. It's like Stephen A. with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it's salty with the Green Bay Packers. I can't stand them. I don't like them. I don't like anything about them. Most of their fan base in Iowa irritates me. But what I can say right now is they have success. They are firing on all cylinders. They've shown that for the past two weeks. Detroit, on the other hand, has not done anything close to that. So, um, the, you know, their OC and head coach need to figure out what what's not working <laughs> and go from there. Maybe maybe they give a second – maybe they give a second-string quarterback a try. Honestly, you know, maybe some second-stringers step it up and, you know, get them what they need. I agree. I think it's a situation where they got to make a change. Um, if they go 0 and 4, they definitely have to think about what they're doing there, especially if they're blowing out what almost a game. If you look at the two quarters before that, week one, 17 points given up, 21 points in this in this game. That means a whole game was completely given up. If you look at it in, in a full quarter sense, one full game they just lost it completely. Um, uh, Mac. What do we say of Kyler Murray, uh, Hopkins, and Drake? Uh, Cardinals get three games coming up here. They get the the same Lions that we're just talking about that blown up two week uh, leads here. Um, then they get Carolina, and then they get the lonely Jets. So, what do we say of of the um, the Cardinals here? Are they they look for real? If they go five and zero, which they should go five and zero based on what's going on right now, uh, maybe. This is a surprise in the West, uh, but the Rams are up up two and zero. San Francisco's one and one. Seattle's uh, basically two and zero. So there's competition there. So it could be a, a three-way battle here. But having Hopkins and Drake and in chemistry and this this week's schedule coming up here uh, could see the Cardinals five and zero. So, if I'm being honest, I was not a Kyler Murray fan his junior senior season at Oklahoma. I became Kyler Murray fan his senior season of, of Oklahoma. Kyler Murray is one of the most underrated football players, not even quarterbacks, but he's one of the most underrated football players in this league. And the fact that he now has Drake and Hopkins to match his, his speed and his, and his athleticism and abilities as a football player they, there's no reason why they shouldn't, you know, contest for that conference or division. To be honest, like I don't see why they can't. They just have to. They have to stick to the game plan. Don't fix it if it's not broken. Yeah, and I think it's great to have Hopkins there. You still have Fitzgerald. You got Kirk. He's got a, we- a lot of weapons, and the schedule here is a key. If if they can go three and zero, you know, with this run. Uh, which they probably can. The Jets, are, they, they don't look very good. Carolina looks out of place. And um, 
So th- this could be a 5-0 and start for them, and that, that is a different story in, out in the West. It's going to be very competitive com- given Seattle, Los Angeles, and even San Francisco in the mix. It could be a battle up, out, out West. Um, if Saquon Barkley is uh, going down for the Giants, they go 0-2 here um, at this point. I mean, it, it just it, it was just one of those one of those deals where the the Bears edge um, the Giants, but uh, Chicago's got to be happy that they're they're basically in good positives, you know, with Trubisky right now. I think they got to be happy with that. You know, I think with Chicago, Chicago for the past couple seasons have been, you know, trying to find their identity as a team with with Trubisky. You know, Trubisky was, I believe, the number one pick in. 2016, right? And he had only played 10 games in college. He had played 10 games for the North Carolina Tar Heels as a college player, just 10, where most most number one draft picks and high draft picks played entire season, entire year, calendar year season. He played 10 games, and they were, you know, Chicago at that point was, was sought after for a quarterback because J.J. Collar was getting it done for them. And now it kind of seems like they're in that same situation with Trubisky because he has not done much for them since he has gotten to Chicago. And I have to say, even with bringing in, um, you know, Nick Foles as his backup, Super Bowl champion Nick Foles as his backup, he still hasn't, you know, he solidified his spot as a starter, but that's about it. There's not, he's not really shown that he, you know, he can get them to the next level. And that's what they've been looking for since they brought him in to replace Jay Culler. Um Now, as far as the Panthers, um, you know, they lost their – they're going to be struggling a little bit too with, um, you know, with losing Christian McCaffrey for the next couple of weeks. I mean, McCaffrey's out. Um, Chicago's not doing great. Um, Saquon Barkley tears his ACL. Somebody else tore their ACL as well. Uh, and I'm just I'm just looking around the league like this is really – like 2020 has really affected everything and – team person aspect like this whole year regardless of COVID or not has been completely wild yeah it's changed a lot of things dynamically for a lot of uh, teams I think the preseason not having a preseason really is affecting some of these teams too in terms of getting themselves you know put together Uh, other teams um, there there was already some sort of chemistry there so you can see from one team to the next, you know, where chemistry is working, work at this point. So um, I, th- I talked to Holly before she left. Um, so do we do we proclaim Josh Allen as a front-runner MVP this early in the season, or should we just wait a little longer? I think it's safe to make speculation, you know, you because you that's what you do is you, you, you speculate on what you see, you know, first couple weeks and – you know, you you make a you make a prediction going into the into weeks afterwards. That's how you, you know, make predictions. That's how you, you know, rankings and all that stuff is literally what you've seen in the past, what they've done recently, and the eye test. And I think with Josh Allen right now, as we're going into weeks, you know, three, four, and five, we kind of have to give him that little bit of respect in the sense that he is balling out. You know he is being successful. It's taken him a season or two, but it it seems like things are starting to mesh with that with him and and you know over there. Uh, Mac, if you're a Buffalo fan, this has got to be very promising, right? 
two years in, here's a guy. Brady leaves the division. You get uh, Newton in in, uh, in New England. Uh, you're probably number two in that division at the, as we stand right now because you still have Belichick as the coach. So undefeated so far, and now you're going up against Jared Goff and the Rams. 2-0, and they're 2-0. and This is going to be a really big game for both teams uh, to figure it out because this is the first competitive match. Um, Goff just got past Wentz, Josh Allen here, rolling for two weeks. So this is a, a great matchup uh, this coming week, uh, Rams against the Bills. Yeah, so if, if I'm a Bills fan, I'm ecstatic right now, especially because you got a top defender out, out of the draft in A.J. Epinesa out of, you know, my University of Iowa Hawkeyes. You also have a backup quarterback in Jake Fromm from the University of Georgia who, you know, if he's allowed to have a cannon – you know, is very good at, at reading deeper coverages. So, you know, even if even if something happens with with uh, Josh Allen, you have that bet. You have you have Jake Fromm as that backup. Um, you also now, you know, with Buffalo, with their defense for the past couple of years have has been up and down. With having AJ Epinesa now as as a starter as a rookie, you now have that insurance that you've been looking for. So, if I'm if I'm Bills fan, I'm ecstatic. I'm not too up or too down about it, but I'm excited to see it change. I'm excited to see, you know, light that's, that we've been looking for for the past couple seasons. I'm, are you going to be surprised if my Rams fall to the Bills at this point? I don't think anybody's going to be surprised because this kid's putting up almost 700 yards, six or more touchdowns, no interceptions, first two weeks of the season. And if you look at the at the, the record books, he's in, he's in the same uh, – conversation as a Manning, a Brady, and a Mahomes. So this is pretty impressive time for Josh Allen. If he takes down the Rams with golf playing as well as he's playing right now, in that sense, if he somehow does that, this is a, this is going to be a really good, uh, and especially with yardage, if he does really well, uh, this could be really good news for Bills fans considering uh, they could have a shot at the AFC title. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to say that I won't be surprised if the Rams lose. I think what's going what's going to beat the Rams is the Rams. I think the Rams are going to do what the Rams do or have been known to do and start off hot and then fizzle out. And that but that's you know that that's if they don't keep what they have going going. You know that's if they don't yeah. let those mental mistakes get into them. That's if. You know, because that, and I mean, to be honest, the Rams didn't didn't win by that much when they played Dallas. There was mental mistakes on on both teams, but you know, the Rams had less mental mistakes, which you know inevitably came out in your guys' one and zero victory at that point. So, I said, if I'm if I'm a Bills fan, I'm looking to win. I'm looking to capitalize on what we have been doing. You know, training camp weeks one and two. If I'm the Rams. I'm keep trying to keep the momentum that we've had. Uh, and, I mean, it's going to be a tight game. And to be honest, I, I see it going into overtime. All right. Um, your Cowboys take on Russell Wilson, who just took down Cam Newton, who was just 2-0 and at home at the century link. Dallas really needs this win. They have to be impressive. If they want to impress people, uh, you know, they lose against the Rams. They had that, I think, to me, they had that game somewhat won 
if they would have played better. Here we go. They get a a second quarter collapse by the Falcons. They turn it around and make a second half of themselves, and then they get that one onside kick benefit to themselves. So is this a Dallas test, in other words, against Seattle? Uh, I think if they want to prove that prove to themselves and prove to the league the league of fans that they're that they're that they mean business and that those faux pas in week one and one and two, regardless of the win of last week, I think if Dallas wants to put themselves in a spot to contend for our division and conference, they have to win this game. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a must-win because we we won last week, but we can't be satisfied with that kind of win. Period. That's that's what I call a struggle win, and we don't like struggle wins. If we're going to win, we're going to win and beat you and play to our best ability. Um, and I think with having now with having C.D. Lamb on the starting roster and as the other side of the slot opposite of Amari Cooper, I think now that Dak knows that he has now two, you know, two receivers, same, almost same speed, you know, same abilities, and with Michael Gallup on, you know, on that X receiver side, there should be absolutely no problem why, not, why three of those, those three receivers plus Schultz, our tight end, not, you know, there's no reason why our receiving core shouldn't at least have one or two touch, touchdowns this coming game, period. And if Zeke can just hold oh, on to the it- freaking ball – does it scare you, Max? They're going up against Russell Wilson, 300 yards per game. He's on pace for 72 touchdowns. He's averaging 36.5 points per game. Um, took care of the Patriots, took down the Falcons. Uh, this should be a wake-up call for Dak Prescott and company. they got to play a, a very solid game. Otherwise, they're going to get their asses whooped. Um, I'm not scared. I'm I'm a little worrisome, but I'm not scared. I'm I'm waiting for my defensive line, especially, to gel together because I don't have Demarcus Lawrence right now. Um, I don't have Randy Quinn anymore. I have. I don't right. have. I don't have a lot of what we had last year and the year before and the year before. Uh, Vander Esch is out. Um, Sean Lee is out right now. From what I know, my my offensive tackle Tyron Smith is out. Um, lots of my veteran players who make things happen are out right now. So a lot of the the second-year and third-year players have to step it up if they want to keep enjoying the benefits of having a win under them and being on America's team. They need to step it up, including Jalen Smith. And Jalen Smith is one of the best defensive mm-hmm. backs on earth. He needs to step it up. He needs to start leading from the back because the rookies – or they, they've not played that position before in the NFL. Jalen Smith has now been there for three or four years, came out of Notre Dame, was highly sought after, and blew completely blew up the NFL his rookie season. He needs to continue to build off of that if he wants to see his defense succeed until, I, until you know, they can get everybody in front of him on the same page. All right. So, Mac, you're a Packer hater, of course, but – are they for real? Because it looked like they're not for real. They look they they took down a uh, Vikings team in 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 week one. Then they take down the Lions here in week two, and they they were down fourteen to three. So is 
is uh, the opportunity is here, in other words, for New Orleans to bounce back after this this loss in Las Vegas. Well, and and I and I'm trying not to let my my undire dislike. I mean, Rogers has played well, but you know, yesterday you saw Breeze somewhat difficult in having difficulty yesterday. So it's a matter of how well will Rogers play here or how bad will uh, Breeze will play, right? I mean, that's literally what I look at it right now. And and that's kind of where I'm going with this. You know, I I, I have to agree with you. But we also know Aaron Rodgers is known to pull things out of his behind and nobody can seem to figure out why or how to stop it. But I will state that I don't think Green Bay is as convincing as they have been in the past. Now, you know, they have they, – they are 2-0. and They are – it's not a great 2-0, and but they are 2-0. and They are undefeated currently. You know, like I said, you have to give respect to Aaron Rodgers as much as that pains me to say and as much as I would like to just run my face into all thinking about the fact that Aaron Rodgers is still as good as he is. You have to give respect to that and – it's just you just if if Aaron Rodgers plays well, then Green Bay plays well. If if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play well, Green Bay doesn't play well because he does not have enough supplement supplementary components around him. He has Aaron Jones and oh um a receiver from Iowa State whose name keeps slipping my mind. Um, Alan Lazard. Uh he has Alan Lazard and and Aaron Jones. And he has he has Josh Jackson from Iowa in his at his defense. I mean those four those four can't win a game for him. It's going to be a really interesting matchup between the two because it's a must win for the Saints here. They're one and one. They, if they want to stay competitive in that division, Tampa Bay won. Um, you know, so they got to try to stay in second. Packers or it would be three and zero for them. They would own the division at this point, given everybody else is not really good. So the the competition would be against Chicago. Uh, in, in an early stage. So that's going to be, you know, some of the marquee Trubisky versus Rogers is what we're looking at at this point. Um, what about, what do we say about this huge, uh, this huge matchup coming up here Monday night, Kansas city taking on Baltimore. So we have uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. This is going to be a great matchup. It's going to be a battle. I think the defenses will be the key here for containment, but overall I, I really, I'm inter- interested to see what's, you know who's going to come out and look at look at the, what the Chargers and Herbert did to um, the Chiefs, kind of putting them on the on the fence there. They do get the win, but San Diego, I mean San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers really uh, put an impressive performance up there against Mahomes. So here we are, Lamar Jackson on a high, two and zero as well. Kansas City two and zero. They've struggled for the first two weeks in some senses. Baltimore has really stepped up. So you know who are you picking here is basically the question. This is a tough one because I don't I don't have any hatred or malice towards either one of those teams. Those are two teams that I will actually willingly watch just because one their fan bases are pretty rational and two they play quality football most of the time. So I can I can pretty much see a competitive game with any of with either one of those teams. It's just it comes it literally is going to come down to 
who's going to play better, who's who wants who's going to want it more. Is it going to be Patrick Mahomes, Mahomey, or Lamar Jackson? And to be honest, I I can't even pick at this point. I mean, if I had to you make think, a decision, I Mac, would. If you think, I would you think in the matchup history between Mahomes and Lamar, the Ravens have always played from behind. They've always trailed. So if they don't do that, they have an opportunity to kind of go neck and neck. But it's history sh- is showing right now, based on their short history of, of being against each other, um, that, you know, the uh, Ravens under, under Jackson do not play well against the Chiefs, really. You're right. I mean, you're not incorrect by any means, but I think with you having said, you know, with the history of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson matchups, I would think at some point, if I'm a Ravens player, if I'm Lamar Jackson at this point or Harbaugh at this point, I'm sick of playing behind to Andy Reid, and I'm sick of playing behind to a team that I match up pretty damn well with. You know, if I'm if I'm if I'm a Baltimore Ravens player at this point, I'm sick of playing behind. I'm and it it kind of seems like the Ravens are seen as a huge underdog, and in retrospect, they're not mm-hmm. because they literally have almost the same talent on both sides of the ball as Kansas City does. Like quite literally, it's dis- I mean it's it's disgusting. Let me um, let me really, throw the have, cherry on top. They have Mark Ingram, and let me just tell you that. Um, Patrick Mahomes has not has not lost a game in the month of September, so tells you a lot right there. So this could continue. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think if I'm if I am if I'm Baltimore, I am looking to spoil that. If I am Patrick Mahomes, I'm looking to do business as usual. Um, if I'm Mark Ingram, I'm. I'm running the ball down your throat and I'm making you guys hit me and hit me hard. If I'm, if I'm Clyde Edward Lair, I'm doing everything that I've done the past two weeks. And, you know, I guess not even two weeks, probably the past four or five games with the, his last couple of big games in college and in his first two here in the NFL. If I'm those four players, I'm doing business as usual. If I'm those four players, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a key matchup here. Uh, the Chiefs really uh, struggling last week. Almost get, you know, they get by with the win. They got to really prove here. Ravens, if they want to really prove something here, this is where you do it, which is, you know, put a blemish on um, Mahomes' September uh, wins totals. Um, let's go through the picks here for week three. Let's figure this out. Uh, we got Jaguars who lost uh, last week, but Minshew played really well, taking on the Dolphins who are not very good. So I'm assuming you're going to take the Jags over the Dolphins at this point. I am going to take the Jags at this point because Gardner Minshew's a G. Um, but yep. I wouldn't be surprised if Tua Tagovailoa gets playing time this week. And in all okay. honesty, obviously I'm not a I'm not a Bama fan by any means, but I like me some Tua. I've been following Tua since the Elite Eleven. Uh, Tua is a, is that guy. He is a guy. You know, he had to have pretty much had to have reconstructive hip surgery, and I'm pretty sure beat his timeline and then some. Um, and then 
you know, didn't really get to have a pro day because of COVID and didn't really get to have a pro day because of, you know, recovering and everything from his surgery and rehab. But from what I was following and picking up, he looked, he looked and has felt a lot better than when he was at Bama prior to his injury. Um, and at this point, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm not ruling out anything. I'm, I'm, op- I'm, I should be open to change at this point. I should be open to seeing what Tua can bring to the table, especially because he's left-handed. That's what people don't yeah. realize is Tua is a left-handed quarterback. There's not. I think he's. I think there's maybe one other left-handed quarterback out of the entire NFL right now, and I don't even know who that person is. I just know that Tua is that other left-handed quarterback, and Tua is very good at, at reading reading defense, defenses from the other side because he's left-handed. And most right. of so, the Dolphins' problems come from that other side. Mm-hmm. So do you want to – do you – do you, oh, you take Jags then at this point. You're going to take Jags? Yeah, I'm going to take the Jags, um, but I'm going to look for Tua to be put in. I'm, and if and when he does get put in, I'm going to look for him to kind of put a scare on the Jags I'm not going to say they're going okay. to win, but I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tua lit it up a little bit. All right. Um, we got Callie Brownson's Browns taking on Jennifer King's Washington football team. Uh, Washington coming off that bad loss to uh, Cardinals. The Browns coming off that big battle of Ohio win. Who do we take care of? <sighs> I'm, going, I'm going with the Browns. I don't know because I – Sorry, Jennifer. I love both those ladies that J five is one of my one of my role models. She's one of my mentors. I mean the Browns are hot right now. Uh, and I oh I hate to admit that, but it seems like Baker and Odell and Jarvis Landry and and um and they just uh, it's kind of it's kind of scary to think about because, you know, last year they kind of had a subpar season and then Baker's first season, you know, Baker, you know, he had a, he had a good rookie season. Um, I think he's, I think Baker's coming out of that sophomore slump he was having last season. So I look, I look for the Browns to win by at least a touchdown, but. All right. So <sighs> we're taking Browns. I'm taking Browns. Sorry, Jen. Uh, go Cali is our word. <laughs> go Cali. So we're taking the Cali, the Cali Branson Browns. Uh, against the Washington football team. So if we, if it is the other way, obviously we have, we have to be very apologetic, <laughs> but other than yeah. that, we're taking, uh, taking Cleveland. Don't, don't take, don't take any offense to it. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll man up. We'll man up next. If that's the case, we'll man up. We're good. Um, so here we go. The next game is um, Herbert taking on the Panthers. I think if he wins or if he starts and he wins, this is a really good sign. I'm going with LA. Uh, over Carolina at this point. I think McCaffrey's not – I think he's out, if I'm correct. I have to check my notes again. But I, other than that, I think the Chargers have a chance to win here. Everybody's predicting them to, to win. And then we have Steelers against Houston. I'm assuming uh, – I'm going with Ben. He's he's doing so well right now, and, and Watson and company are having trouble. So I, I don't think the Steelers are going to lose this one. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I have to go with the Steelers. I'm kind of convinced with you know Big Ben coming back and him having James Conner as well. James Conner's a freak of 
nature. I love it. James Conner's a G. Um, and Big Ben look actually, to be honest, looks a lot better post surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now that he's got you know whatever corrected, you know, uh, from his elbow surgery, it looks like his throws are a lot more accurate. It looks like they're sharp. He looks like a young Ben. Um, you know, just obviously with more experience under his belt. Uh, and Carolina is, I mean, they're hurting. I'm not even sure who their second who their second string running back is. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is, for all intents and purposes, their offense. He. That's what I'm I mean, saying. It's going to be difficult the ball, for them to even the ball. It's good. Yeah. kind of like put an offense together. So Chargers, I think, are really in a good shape here to get a win and stay competitive with in the AFC West. Um, Mac, um, if anybody's missed our previous podcast, obviously I don't know where you're living, under a rock maybe, but if you're listening to us every week, <laughs> we have some really good content. The last 60 days, we had some really amazing guests. Wind Adomini talking WFA, Very Liverman, episode 328, Angelica Grayson. We also had 325 with Adrian Smith, 324 with Sherry Waga and Daniel Harvey. Um, we also had uh, Michelle Marshall, 331, Terrence Haywood also, 334, Coach Stone, 335. Last week we had um, as well Rod Green with the Intense 8 of the IWFA. We had Coach Devin Jones. And Tashay Winfrey, 336 and 337, talking about that big clash in Vegas on August 29th between IWFA and WFA, Sin City Trojans. So if you missed any of our content, you can go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Great and Beauty. You get the link there uh, at the Apple Podcast. Thanks for giving us a five-star rating. We really, really appreciate it. And so, like I said, uh, 60 days of content. One of our highest-rated podcasts was 325, 324. So I want to, like, like once again say thank you, Adrian Smith, Sherry Waga, and Daniel Harvey for that. And then also our, our next highest-rated podcast was 328, which Barry Lieberman and Angelica Grayson, so really shout-out to them for giving us really great um, reception with the fans and engaging our audience as well. Um, Mac, I, you know what? We're, we're everywhere, Spotify, Apple, uh, whatever platform. We're there, so I really, really appreciate everybody doing that. We're also give a shout-out to um, North America, Australia, and the Euro, specifically in Spain and Germany as well. So shout-out to all our listeners out there. You know, we really are a global being for your football needs, and I think the quicker and sooner people realize that, the sooner, you know, people are going to realize that. Like, if you're not going to the hub and you're not following all of us on social media and you're not, you know, going to all these different platforms that we're on to get your information, then really, what are you actually freaking doing? Like, there's multiple sources out there for stuff, and we happen to be one of them. So I don't see why y'all are not out here on the hub because I feel like every time that I'm on the show and I have to re-explain myself, that just means somebody's not doing their job and following us. So so if you go to the hub weekly, you get the lowdown on everything that's happening when women's American football globally, the best network on the planet is at the hub. Passionate fans diving into women's American football internationally. So let's dive in now, Mac. Sweden, Czech Republic, in play. Everybody loves WFA, WNFC, but guess what? Beyond the borders of North America, there is girls playing American football. So let's talk about that now before we get out of here. 
Czech Republic week three, Brno Amazons, 74 to zero against the Warsaw Sirens. Unfortunately, Warsaw has struggled this year uh, coming off that championship uh, against Bar- uh, loss against Brno Amazons last year. This year, they've struggled. They're 0-3 at this point. You can catch the game live, live feed game, Fox Agency, live stream at the hub. So you go watch it right now once again. Um, and then you had Ginseng Windstorms taking on the Prague Harpies. Uh, shout out to Robert Hilmar Jr. for giving us the still photos there of the action that happened in week three in the Czech Republic. Uh, Prague Harpies, 45-10 to 10 over Ginseng. We're looking at week four here. Prague Harpies, uh, 2-0, taking on Warsaw Sirens, 0-3. So, Mac, Warsaw not having the best start of the year. They really need to get going here. Uh, Harpies really enthusiastic of 0-2, uh, 2-0 start. Um, so, you know, we got to get – hopefully the Sirens will pick up a pace here at this point. The next matchup is going to be Prague Blackhawks taking on the champions. Uh, so it's undefeated, 2-0. Uh, Black Cat taking on Berno Amazon. So uh, the battle of undefeated. So, uh, Mac, you called it. Uh, this is this is a juggernaut team. It's been a juggernaut team for four years. They're, they're, they're on a roll right now. They're just steamrolling everybody. And uh, Plague, uh, the, the Prague Black Cats, uh, would, if they get a win here, that would be a big upset. You know, I try to tell people. I've tried. I've been tell, have I not been telling people this the entire, the entire calendar year? Okay, you can't. When you finally get a well-oiled machine, it's it's hard to stop them, especially two defense that they won. You you just it's it's. I just I'm irritated that people keep doubting me. And for the fourth straight the fourth straight year, I've been correct so far, and I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, Amazons are just really good. And so a battle um, should be through Fox Agency. We'll figure it out this week. I haven't got confirmation from them, but they have Fox Agency as their live stream. And if you missed the game in week three, go to the hub, facebook.com forward slash square down beauties. Uh, the next uh, matchups is in the Super Series in Sweden. And your uh, the girls out there are killing it. These Brit girls, Mac, uh, Sydney Green, Gabby Knobs, and the Karlstad Crusaders. Uh, we thought uh, we thought Linda Johansson last year was awesome. Guess what? They upgrade to Sydney Green and Gabby Knobs, and they are just tearing the competition apart right now. Um, they take care of Orbro 22 to six. Um, they are on fire right now. Orbro drops to 0 and 3. Carlsbad 3 and 0. Um, you get you get week five coming up here. And it's going to be at Arlanda, one and one, taking out Orbro. Orbro looking for a first win of the season against uh, Arlanda. But Carlstad, what can you say about that? I talked about it last week. They are just a juggernaut, and it's just going to be the way it is going to be. I think they're going to go to the finals. They're going to win it all. Um, so it's going to be who's going to challenge them. It's going to be Orlando or Orbo getting better up to that final. Oh, man, Sid and Gabby are two of the best players I've ever seen since I started playing. And I just I love the fact that they're running on all cylinders. I love the fact that everything seems to be going for them right like right right now that it's getting into the bulk of of their season. So you know I just hope that they're able to continue it and take it all the you know take it all the way to the ship and win the ship. Um, it's just you know those there's a couple of those teams down there that are also known for beating juggernauts and you know we had this conversation last year and season before. Um, you know, with with uh, Gabby and Sid's team, 
at one point, you know, not being so great now that they've basically had to rebuild, they're now reaping the benefits of, you know, taking those years to rebuild and taking those, you know, some of those losing seasons and not so good seasons and finally being able to put everything together. So it's, I'm excited. I just, like I said, I hope that they can win. They can take it all and win the ship. They got one more week uh, left for them. Week six, they're taking on Orlando, the final week. And then we got the semis, October 7th, and the final, October 24th. And like I said, it looks like nobody's going to stop them. They're playing so much good ball. Uh, it's going to be a matter of whether Orlando or Orbro can going to step up to their level. Orlando really looks to win this weekend against Orbro. Orbro looks for that big win. So uh, get everything that's happening in the Sweden swing, Division One, Division One North, Division One South, plus the Sweden Super Series right there at the hub. Plus, don't miss this weekend as we go into the Czech Republic as well. So we're going to get the Battle of the uh, Battle of Undefeateds, which is the Berno Amazons taking on the Prague Black Cats. If you missed our 30% off T-shirt sale, shame on you. Uh, you can go to the Hub now. You get 15% off instead of 30, so you missed it out. But if you did take advantage of it, really, really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, you can also catch our podcast on TuneIn, Player FM, Google Cast iHeart, Spotify, GlobalWomenSportsRadio.com, Apple Podcasts, and as always, we're here at the flagship Block Talk Radio. Uh, Mac, I don't know. Um, we've got a lot of stuff that we went through. Holly went through all the college football disaster in Pac-12, plus the Big Ten coming back. Uh, then we dived into the Week 2 action here. You're previewing Week 3. Uh, looking forward to this uh, whole college football week, plus the NFL. Man, we did a lot here today, as we normally do, you know, chunk full of content. I will just put in my quick two cents about college football. Um, the Big 12, other than Oklahoma, does not look great right now. Uh, this mm-hmm. includes my, my dad's Iowa State Cyclones, who I am currently following as well, because my dad, as you know, most everybody knows, my dad passed away on the 30th. I and mean, his his college team was the Iowa State Cyclones. So Our condolences I now to have you and your to, family. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody that's reached out to me. Um, and I was just telling some of my friends that my dad would not be very happy at the first game <laughs> his Cyclones played. Um, and I can't say that I don't agree with how he would have felt. Um, with the Big Ten coming back, I'm just glad that my Hawkeyes are getting to play. Um, I don't even care that it's an eight-game season. I'm just glad that I was getting a chance to play. I'm glad that that's another conference that's in, that makes – college football season a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, they're starting the 20, 28th or 24th of October. Um, but what they also don't what they also don't realize with that is where everybody who's running, you know, close to a normal schedule, they have bye weeks. I the Big 10 isn't going to have any bye weeks. It's going to be eight games straight. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the key, the shuffling how that's going to work out with each conference. Uh, we're probably going to expect a little bit of blowouts that way. But, um, Mac, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to Holly Custis for making the time today. And then don't forget to go to the hubs at facebook.com forward slash Check out all our content there. The best network on the planet exists there. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify. So for Mackenzie Brooks, Oscar Lopez here, and Holly, absent Holly Custis and Nate Ward, catch you here next edition of the Great Iron Blitz. Have a great night, everybody.